BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, guys. My name is Sarah Nicole, and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays. Subscribe, rate and review it and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the Papaya Podcast and the birds papaya on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. Hey everybody and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to RealPod, everyone. I hope this podcast finds you well. Last week was so much fun. Thank you guys for coming along for my crazy bridesmaids journey. I hope you enjoyed it. This week, we are back with a fantastic guest. She is my friend, been my friend for a while now on Instagram. I absolutely love her. And you better bet we are bringing you the realness today. Literally, there's no filter with this one. Mary Jelkowski is an author, podcast host, and social media influencer who's used her toxic experiences with diet culture to create a community where women can feel seen and inspired. Mary struggled with her own eating disorder. She's also a TED Talk speaker, and her TED Talk is phenomenal. It's chilling. And she kind of walks through overcoming her eating disorder and how she kind of broke free from how she explains those shackles of perfection and found healing and self-love. And in this episode, Mary talks about her experience like never before, specifically detailing what it was like as a bodybuilder in the bodybuilding industry and the different people and things she did along the way to get where she is now. I want to offer up a little warning that today's episode does get intense and it does get sensitive as we talk about sex and grooming. So please proceed with caution. Be sure to follow Mary on Instagram. She's literally one of my favorite follows, like such a safe account, so inspiring. You won't regret it. It's in the description and we're about to get started. Before we do, shout out to IKK0321. That's a cool username. This person left a five-star review saying, Victoria has been one of my role models during my eating disorder recovery. I learned about intuitive eating through her and this has helped me to develop a much healthier relationship with food. I love her vulnerability. I feel like she's my good friend, even though I've never met her. Oh my God, IKK0321. First of all, I love that username. Secondly, you're gonna make me cry. I feel like you guys are all my best friends too because I think every week, that's just how we talk to each other. I wanna say that's how we, I know I'm the talker, but I feel like you guys are talking back. So 
So thank you. And you know what? That's why I love these reviews because I get to hear from you. So if you've been enjoying the podcast or you have thoughts and you want to let me know what's up, head over to iTunes where you can rate and review the show and you just might be the special shout out on next week's episode. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts so you get that automatic download every single Wednesday. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with Mary Jelkowski, also known as Mary's Cup of Tea. So wait, where did Mary's cup of tea come from? Well, like a couple different things. I actually wanted to sell tea because it was like a big healing thing in my eating disorder recovery. I felt like anytime I would binge or if I had a rough day, like a cup of tea was the only thing that would calm me down and like make me feel like things were going to be okay. And it was kind of like how I cap every night till this day. It's like, no matter how good or bad my day is, like, I know I'm always going to drink tea. And so I wanted to like sell tea and I thought like it would be a cool backstory to the Mary's Cup of Tea shop. But then I got all these samples from Alibaba and I was just overwhelmed with like tea sourcing and making sure it's good quality. And there's so (laughs) much about tea. It's like being a barista, like there's a lot more that goes into it than you think. So then I was like, okay, well, Mary's Cup of Tea, because I already bought the domain. I was like, it's just like a collection of things that I love. And that's kind of what it turned into. Oh my gosh, I love that. And that is literally the tea. There you have it. That's the tea. (laughs) And I'm going to take a dramatic sip of tea. I had no idea that tea played into your body image and your past eating disorder. And I love hearing that because whether you have an eating disorder, struggle with body image, insecurities in general, I think all of us who kind of go through the healing journey have little things that we really remember as being instrumental to us as we got better and we recovered. That said, I do want to hear about how everything started in the first place with that body image battle. Well, it probably started like concretely when I was 11 and I was in middle school. I was always really young because I skipped a grade in elementary school. We moved and I guess I was smart and my teacher just like bumped me up a grade. So I was always like the youngest, but also like the most physically developed with like hips and boobs and stuff. And so in middle school, like that pressure became extra because there were like boys and puberty and dress codes. Like I was always feeling attacked with dress codes. And that was also the time when my sister was born. She was born when I was 10 and a half and her grandma, who's like my ex step stepdad's mom, because they also got divorced. Long story. Anyways, her grandma came to like help take care of the newborn. And so I was always staying home alone at this point until my sister came and then grandma came. And I just remember her being not really nice to me. Like we would bond a lot and we would go on walks with the baby and she would bake. But at the same time, like she would criticize my body or what I ate. And it was very much like stereotypical grandma stuff where simultaneously she would make all these baked goods and be like, you're not eating them. And I just like felt, I don't know. I just didn't feel comfortable in my body and always felt the pressure to be thin. I often say that growing up, I thought that every girl, like every perfect girl needs to be three things. And that's smart, pretty, and thin. 
and very quickly thin became kind of my number one pursuit. I felt like if I could be thin, then obviously I'll be pretty and then I'm smart. Like everything will just fall into place. So yeah. And I think that escalated too, when I had a baby sister, because I wanted to be a good role model. Well, to me, like being a good role model meant being perfect. So I was very much like high achiever, like perfect grades, like dancing. I was doing ballet. 11 is actually when I started like getting really intense with ballet. And so obviously like the dance world comes with pressures of its own in terms of body image. And then when I got to high school, my freshman year of high school, I started dating an older guy. He was like, I think a junior and I was a sophomore or a freshman and he was on the football team and he was really into the gym. And so like he got me into it and just very looks oriented all the time. And also I think where I lived, like I shit you not, I was a dark, like ethnic looking person because where I live, it's like upper middle class and everybody's like very light. And I just felt like I didn't fit in, even though I also didn't like stick out. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of hard for me to talk about because I'm I'm not like, oh, I was oppressed. It was so hard, but it just like, I didn't feel like I fit into any friend group and all of that channel and into body image. So yeah, my bulimia was like very much like eating a lot or like starving myself all day eating a lot at night after dance and then like binge eating and then doing all sorts of things to try to compensate for that, whether that's like over-exercising or running to the toilet or vowing never to eat again or whatever. And then this was also the time of Tumblr, like all that pro. Oh gosh, that was the worst. That sucked. And I feel like everything just came together. Like I can't say it was like one thing, right? Everything just came together to create like what I thought was a lifelong battle with body image and food. And that I, I, that's what led me to start competing in bikini fitness competitions, because I thought that fitness was the solution. Like I literally thought that if I could just control what I'm eating and if I never binge again, and if I'm so fit that I never have to worry about my body, then everything will be okay. And that'll cure my eating disorder. (laughs) Can I just pause right there? Because I think that is the big misconception that many people believe and that society has told us that if we can be thin, if we can be skinny, we will be happy and bam, like that's going to be the life that you've always wanted. And it is so false. Mm -hmm. And these days we've took it an extra level. Like I was reading about this recently somewhere about how now everything is so related to health. And we've created like this health hierarchy because we're too woke to worry so much about appearance, but as long as you're healthy, but that's also like super ableist and like healthist too, like healthism is a thing, you know? And yeah, we've just become obsessed with it. And I think our society is orthorexic. That, okay. I'm actually glad you brought that up because that's such an interesting discussion point. And I'm actually looking on my phone right now for this quote that is so in line with this. The other day I saw this quote from Aubrey Gordon, whose Instagram is at your fat friend. I'm obsessed with her. And it said, we are replacing a beauty standard with a health standard that is just as fickle, just as relentless, and just as out of reach for so many. And I was like, mic drop, jaw drop. So true. The way that diet culture and the industry that profits off of our insecurities is now saying, okay, you can look however you want to look, but are you eating kale? And are you working out? And do you have a Fitbit? And 
it's exactly what you said. And I think it's so important to shine light on this new form that diet culture has taken. Oh, 100%. It's like we keep adding, like we just keep replacing it. And at the end of the day, it's about power and like control and like trying to make society be in a certain way that we see as right, which is what we're seeing so much of today of people like breaking free from gender norms and like us just trying to be different and embracing different bodies and Black Lives Matter, like all of these things, like we're just breaking down all those chains, but yet there will be forces always at play that are trying to fight against that. And they're just going to try to repackage it and put it in different words for us to be like, oh, well, that's better. (laughs) That's good, right? Like health is good. And I'm not saying health is not good. I think that's really important to understand. But my point is like, you don't need to be healthy for me to respect you. There are plenty of people of all shapes and sizes who struggle with their health, whether it's mental or otherwise. But for some reason, when it's like comes in a bigger body, that's when we lose our shit. Also, you can't just understand the full scope of someone's health by looking at what they eat or how they look. And that's another problem that happens way too often is looking at someone and thinking, oh, well, based on what I see you eat for lunch and I see you eat for dinner, I'm going to know everything about your health. And I think the caveat there is there are people who are eating salads at every meal and they're eating the way that this movement would quote unquote advise people to eat. And they're actually not healthy because they're in the thick of disordered eating or they're not giving their body the nutrients that it needs. So really the whole complex of this is so messed up. And it's also not possible for us to ever really understand the health of that person and what they need. Because here's another thing. People will say, okay, well, is cake healthy? And I'm like, well, let's think about it this way. When I don't give myself cake, I don't, I'm not happy. I'm distraught. I'm feeling restricted. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling unworthy. When I do have my, give myself a piece of cake, I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling joy. That is good for my mental health. So what kind of health are we talking about? Because that that is healthy to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that maybe it was Audrey Gordon too, who said she called it like that collective experience, the health industrial complex, right? I think I have that phrase in my mind, but it's just how like things just get, like we pounce on things and it's mostly because industries are trying to profit off of it. And exactly like cake could be the healthiest thing for you. Just like a salad could be the unhealthiest thing for you. And that was very much me at 16, 17, 18 years old when I was literally competing in bikini fitness competitions, winning trophies. My following was growing like crazy because I was the gym girl. Like everybody was asking me for advice. People were hiring me as their personal trainer. And I was 17 years old and telling them what to eat. And I feel so ashamed to admit it, but I did go on to get like my personal training certification. And I thought like, this is the way to be. And I'm going to teach other people to do it. But I knew like fucking nothing. Like I knew nothing. And I, it was just cause like I'm in the body that I am and I was able to manipulate it and starve it and deprive it and put myself through hell and fucking back to make it even smaller. And people admired that and latched onto that. And it was just like negative fuel to my fire. Okay. So you're in the thick of that feeling like you have to be in this pursuit of the perfect body every single day. It's ruling your world, controlling your thoughts. You're not yet aware, right? You're saying I'm ashamed of what I did, but at the time that was what you thought you had to do. So what were the few dominoes that started to fall where your mind was opening up to a different reality? 
Hmm, that's a great question. I love the metaphor of the dominoes falling. I think firstly, well, I had, I had a really deep, dark low before I even let any, let any of my dominoes fall. So I was training for my third competition. I was binge eating every single night. I was also drowning all my sorrows and sex because I was just like so hungry for, I was just hungry. And that was the only thing I could do that. I was like, Oh, and I'm burning calories. Like it was just so with just your boyfriend or with variety of partners, like variety. And it was, I was in a really bad place. Are you okay with diving into that? Because that's something people don't talk about. And I just had a conversation with a friend the other day, we were talking about like body counts and things like that. And something this person said was, I had no self-worth that I was trying to find it in others through sex. And this is like real pot is getting R-rated right here, but I am here for it. So if you want to expand, I would, I think that it's really relevant. Yeah, I am totally comfortable. I do want to put a warning that this is R-rated and some stuff might be triggering and you will probably be like, Mary, what the fuck were you thinking? I also want to just give myself a little bit of grace that I was a 17 and I was like a child and I didn't know. And like, I wish some told me that like these men were fucking predators. Am I allowed to cuss? I mean, for a lot of Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's real pod. You can do whatever you want. I wish I had somebody in my life to tell me that like these men are fucking predators, but I don't come from a culture like that. And so nobody really intervened, but yeah. So what had happened was like, I was really involved in the gym culture and I went into this, I went to this very pop, actually moved specifically out of my parents' house. And I said, I was moving closer to school, but I was actually moving closer to this, like really trendy bodybuilding gym in old town Scottsdale. If you're familiar with that scene, it's like parties, toxic cocaine, steroids, drinking, going out every night, going to the gym, hustle, like weird dating scene. Like it was just really, really bad. And I was living there on my own when I was 17 and I would go to the gym multiple times a day. You get to know people. And I was single kind of on and off with like certain people. And there were times when I just felt really shitty and ashamed of myself because of the men that I let inside of me. And it all had to do with self-worth and also just like this physical craving and also like a bit of daddy issues for lack of better words and being like, oh my God, these older men like me and getting that validation that I so craved, which a lot of it was about my body. And it was just, it was awful. Like there were times where I was the side and this guy, I dated this really like famous bodybuilder who I wish I could name names just so more people can see what a fucking piece of shit he is, but I will not but he was like dating me and dozens of other women. And he had three kids and another two children that we were completely unaware of. And it was this other girl who was in this bikini fitness pro. And, uh, we became friends through just like finding out about him and all of that stuff. Like it was so bad. Like it was so bad. (laughs) And the thing is like, this guy has millions of followers at this point on Instagram and everybody like looks up to them without knowing that so many of these people that you see, like, especially these trainers or these coaches or these bodybuilders, like, I'm sorry, but the industry is disgusting. Like they're predators. And so did you feel worthy once you had sex with these people? Definitely not. I felt worse. Like I felt like shit. And 
it wasn't. So that was like the low, low, low. And I would justify it too, because my whole life I've been told things like, you're so mature, you're an old soul, you're so intelligent. And like, I can have a conversation with you. And like my whole life, I've had older friends. I think this is why I mentioned at the beginning that that's kind of an important part of the story that I was always the youngest. And because I had like a good head on my shoulders, I always made excuses for other people and constantly blamed myself. And that's what I hear and see a lot of people doing is they're like, I, they just channel it towards themselves. They're like, I should have known better. Like, why did I do this? Like, it's my fault. And you just make excuses for everybody else instead of saying like, this situation was fucked up. I was in a bad place. Maybe my parents failed me in certain ways. These people took advantage of me and I need therapy. (laughs) Like, I think that is some of the bravest shit you can say. I just had chills. That is so wildly true. The fact that it shouldn't fall back on you because you were mature. And when you think about some of those statements, I mean, I don't want to go so far as to say it's like grooming because I don't know the exact situation, but it is convincing a child that they're cool or they are able to handle something when you're right, you're not. And when you're 16, 17, you need someone to say, Hey, go home. You shouldn't be here. Yeah. But instead they're making you feel like you're really cool. And you're a chosen one who gets to be a part of this group. Exactly. And I think grooming, actually, I just recently learned that word off of TikTok, and it like, I got chills again when you said that, because that's the word that actually brought me a lot of peace, which described my experience in ways that I couldn't before, because it wasn't like I got sexually assaulted in this, you know, very dramatic, violent way. And it wasn't like, I didn't know what I was doing, which again is why I like blamed myself. Like I would always say, oh, well, I wanted it. And I was in charge and all this stuff. But like at that age, you're not like, you're just not. And when somebody's like that old and you're that young and aside from the age difference, when you're not in like a secure place in your life and somebody is straight up taking advantage of that and lying and manipulating you and texting you at 3 a.m. saying, come over, but like go through the back because my kids are sleeping. Like that's suspicious. <laughs> that's not cool or fun. It's sus like, and it's probably bad, you know? So I think that word grooming, like actually brought me a lot of peace and solace because it's what I experienced not only with men at the gym, but also with a certain family member. And it went on for years and years. And because like, it was so, I don't know how to, it's so hard to put in words too, because it was like, they weren't all that bad. And I could talk to them and like, you know what I mean? Because it wasn't violent. I felt unworthy of it being even addressed. I wish we learned more about that than like stranger danger. Like don't talk to anybody because the odds of somebody like a 17 year old getting snatched on the street are very, very slim, but the odds of somebody like building a relationship with you, even if they're not like, even if it's not a grooming, uh, adult child relationship, but even if they're just like straight up toxic or narcissistic or abusive emotionally, but like, you don't have enough words to realize that that's like abusive if, if you're at a low point and somebody is taking advantage of that, or there's a, a power imbalance and somebody's taking advantage of that, i.e. like oppression systemic wise, like that is fucked up. <laughs> and that's, yeah. And that reminds me of the Me Too movement, right? Is these very powerful men who everyone thinks, oh, well, they didn't sexually assault someone technically by the book, but they were super powerful. And you're, it's just not a fair playing field. And 
I'm so glad that we're talking about this right now. And I did not expect our conversation to go this way. I didn't know this about you know your history. And I know you were relating this to your eating disorder. So how did this experience affect your self-worth and your relationship with your body? The way that I explain it is that my eating disorder was my way of being like, pay attention to me, but not too much. So like I wanted it, but I also was like so afraid of it. And I would like eat and like build this kind of like in a spiritual way, like this layer of protective fat too, because I was also, I didn't want to get hurt, you know? And at the same time I wanted attention, but I wanted a certain kind. And I think it just really goes down to like that emotional, like mental support and affection and love that I didn't receive from my parents or specifically my dad. And so I think it's like, again, I hate saying this because I don't mean to discredit it, but I feel like my case was just like a very stereotypical situation of daddy issues where I was like, I just need to fill this void and I don't know how else to get it. And I'm also Russian. I don't know if you know that about me, but like my, well, my family is Jewish refugees from Russia. And so my culture is more Russian because we weren't allowed to be Jewish in Russia because there's anti-Semitism. So we didn't really know what Judaism was until we got to America. So I'm like, I consider myself like mindset wise more Russian than anything. And in my culture, like it's just such a big, like feminism is not a thing. And the feminism that they have is like very pseudo feminist, but like literally if you Google like, or if you YouTube Russian bloggers, the videos are insane. It's like how to look appealing to a man, how to always look expensive and attractive rich man. Like literally as we speak, there are Russian girls that believe that that's empowerment. And that was like kind of how I was raised. My mom was like a little bit more progressive than that. And she went through divorces of her own. So she was always like, you don't need a man. I hate men, but I was going to say she's Russian. I hate men. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Uh, Exactly. And she was like, I felt like she was a little bit more progressive, but at the same time, looks were a big thing and being thin was a big thing. And then it was health, you know, being healthy. And that was, and still is a really big thing for her. So yeah, I think like culturally, I also got really, really, really influenced. I was, yeah. I'm like jumping out of my chair now because you, I only know you as who you are right now. And so to hear everything that you went through and where you were at, I mean, obviously the connection and how you have turned everything around and gotten to where you are is I think the answer and the work that everyone wants to hear about. So to the dominoes, you were saying, I cut you off because you said, as you were describing the first domino falling, you mentioned this and I was like, wait, we need to rewind before we get to the dominoes. So back to the dominoes, what do you think were those first things like to even understand that this was you seeking love and that you had these quote unquote daddy issues as you call them? Yeah. Um, so one of those dominoes was that I did, I did start to like come to terms with that and realize that I got out of that really toxic relationship with that big bodybuilder I told you about. And it was like a couple months after that. And I was just starting to realize how bad it was like everything he did along with other men. But I think I just developed more of a relationship with him. And then I actually started doing, I guess it's not technically a steroid, but something in the fitness industry that's considered quote, like big girl supplements. And it's something that like everybody does. It's actually illegal here in the States. 
And there's a lot of things that are legal in the States, but people still get them for weight loss. I started doing clenbuterol, which basically, I guess it like increases your heart rate, makes you lose weight kind of thing. And I just remember my hands shaking and not being able to function at school. I remember studying for my accounting test freshman year of college, and I couldn't read my notes because when I took the notes, I was like so messed up on these drugs and just like caffeine and all the other supplements that are non-FDA approved and just so bad for you. I was so messed up on all of that stuff that I couldn't read my handwriting because my hands would shake so badly. And I think that's when I was just like, whoa, like (laughs) I'm really at a point where I'm this desperate. Like I'm doing things to my little 17, 18 year old little body that are just so bad. And there were times like, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. And at night I would find myself at food city stealing food because I would binge eat and I wouldn't have enough food and I couldn't afford food because I was like college student and I would just steal jars of peanut butter and binge on them. And the only way that I could stop myself was by pouring Lysol in them. And so like just things like that, where you're just like, if anybody saw this, you know, there was also a time I would just sleep all day and my mom came like pounding on my door because I wouldn't pick up the phone because I was just like so exhausted. Like the bulimia showed up in many different ways, not just like food, but I would just go through. I was just very extreme all the time. I was either working out four times a day or I was sleeping for four days and there was like no balance known between. And what had happened was I hired a new coach, right? Because I'm like, oh, the problem is my coach. I need a new coach. And his fiance, I think like intervened. She was like, Hey, this girl's like really young. I think she needs help. And she messaged me on Facebook and was like, Hey, um, my fiance, like I'm so-and-so. And he shared with me that you're really struggling. I think that something deeper is going on. You might want to check out this naturopath. And so I went to a naturopath with the intention of like, my hormones are imbalanced and that's why I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah. I went to see this doctor and she ended up being a really good friend She actually had competed in bikini competitions back in her day, like 20 years ago and realized how much they were ruining her life. And that's what led her to become like this natural medicine doctor, because she was looking for ways to like heal her own hormonal imbalances caused by years of dieting. And she was like a competitive swimmer and just all that her body went through, through that. And so she would like, I would sit in her office and she would give me IVs of like all the vitamin deficiencies I had and everything. Like I was diagnosed with everything under the sun of an extreme dieter, like the thyroid issues and like vitamin B deficiencies, like borderline anemic. I was in the hospital. I had like four kidney infections back to back. And I was just like constantly in pain, like in my stomach to a point where I would just be in the hospital overnight. And they never had any idea what was going on, but it all came down to just like, I was killing myself with dieting and exercise. So she would sit and give me these like vitamin IV injections, trying to like give me nutrients. And she would also kind of like be my counselor and talk to me about how, like what I'm doing isn't good and how I should eat full fat Greek yogurt. And it's not bad. And how like my binge eating is a natural reaction to everything that I've been doing to myself. Like my body needs food and I'm growing. And she would tell me like, whatever you do, don't do cardio. She's like, you can go to the gym if you want to lift weights, but like, don't do cardio. That's like, what's burning you out. That's what's heightening the cortisol. Like you cannot be on the treadmill for one, two hours a day. Like whatever you do, do not do that. And 
there are just certain things. I mean, not, not all of it was like anti-diet as we see it today, but back in that time, it was like really revolutionary to me to have somebody give me a permission slip to eat full fat Greek yogurt. And I was craving like full fat Greek yogurt and nuts and like jars of almond butter and peanut butter. And like, I would eat avocados just like straight, all these like kind of like healthy foods, but my body was like really, really craving fats. And I was just binge eating like crazy on all these things that people would consider healthy, but I was getting crazy about them. So she was a game changer for you, obviously. And I'm so glad that that person reached out and said, Hey, I think you're in need and let's do something about it, which I want to highlight that person as like someone that changed the trajectory of your life. And I think that's powerful. And to anyone listening, if you see someone or you think someone's hurting, it can never hurt to just reach out and say, Hey, I want to put you in touch with this person or, Hey, I think X, Y, Z, because for you, I mean, that was, we would say the first domino that fell. So what was next in the healing journey? I think a lot of people have experienced like that cycle of like binge eating, or even if you're not binge eating, but like feeling guilty and like waking up the next day and being like, my diet starts Monday and just like putting yourself through that cycle, if that makes sense. Yes. So that was very much what I was dealing with. And I just remember with my, with the support of my naturopath being like, no matter what, even if I binge, I'm not going to like do the other stuff of like overcompensating. Like I'm not going to do fasted cardio. I'm still going to eat breakfast. I'm not going to take laxatives. Like I would just like swear, like this is where I tried to channel my willpower. I was like, no matter what, I don't want to do those habits. And so what ended up happening and what at the, like now I know that was so necessary and so normal and needed, but what ended up happening is I felt like I was just binge eating and I, didn't do all my other stuff to like make up for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, also when you start to actually nourish your body, there's no desire to binge because the restriction is slowly going away. Exactly. And a lot of times when people ask, why do I binge? How do I stop binging? The answer is allow yourself to eat more. Yeah. Because if you allow yourself to eat, you won't have this urge to intake all this food because you know, it's not going to be taken away from you. Exactly. And that's what I was experiencing. And that's what like I know now. And at the time I was like really nervous to surrender to that. And there wasn't anybody that said like, this is natural. This is normal. You're going to go through this phase. You need to just stop restricting. And I also wish somebody would have told me that mental restriction is still restricting. A lot of people come to me and they're like, I'm eating normally. I'm eating a lot. Why am I still binging? Why am I still like in this cycle? And the truth is that it's because you're thinking about restricting. It's because your, your body just doesn't trust you yet because you've put it through so much like that mental, that the mental side of things, or like, I call it the metaphysical side of things. Those still go into play when it comes to that cycle. Like, even if you're not, even if you feel like you're quote unquote fed, your body might still need more. I love how you said your body doesn't trust you because in that sentence, there are two people. And I think whether it is eating disorders or anything in life, it's important to understand that there's the me and there's the I, and there's the part of us that is the present, like conscious part of us. And then there's the other part that's been conditioned and has these beliefs. And when you look at an eating disorder, it is true. And I talked about this with Janine Roth on an episode a long time ago that 
A diet is basically telling yourself you can only eat at these times and you have to do this and you have to do that. And you're talking to yourself like you're a little kid. Like you can't trust yourself to say I'm hungry and what sounds good to me and how does this feel in my body? And then if I'm eating more, can I reflect on why did I continue eating and what can I do differently next time? And I think that relationship, Mary, is so key is becoming one with yourself, allowing yourself to make mistakes. Maybe I am going to eat more than I need. I'm going to eat something I don't like. I'm going to forget to eat. I'm going to do something, but then I'm going to notice it and we're going to regroup and we're going to do it better. We're going to do it differently. So I just wanted to highlight that because when you create harmony with your relationship with food, which is how I feel now as an intuitive eater, there is no me versus you. It is it is just one aligned person who is having a relationship with food. That evil third voice, we've, we've for the most part, silenced it. And it doesn't go away forever and you don't completely get rid of it, but it, it starts to fade and it starts to go up to the attic and you start to shut the door and you stop listening to it and you just slowly move it farther and farther away from the decision-making room. Mm-hmm. I love that you also said harmony too, because I think a lot of people jump to the word balance but I like harmony because it just feels like a little bit more fluid. It's allowing this space for like, you know, sometimes I quote unquote overeat, whatever that means. But like there are like, it's not about eating perfectly and having everything in balance and like all this portion control, like all those things that we associate with quote unquote eating healthy. Intuitive eating is about creating that harmony and letting yourself I even hesitate to call them making mistakes because it's just eating. Like you're just eating. Normal people do that. They eat. I totally agree. And I love that you're calling that out because language is so important when we talk about these things. And I remember a therapy session where I went in like, I can't believe I had popcorn last night. I wasn't even hungry. Like, I'm so mad. I emotionally ate the popcorn. And she was like, let me get this straight. You're a human being who emotionally ate popcorn okay, thank you next. Like everyone does that. (laughs) And I think that's your point right there. And I I love it. Does your therapist actually talk like that? Or is that how you receive it? That I definitely am putting my spin on it. She was super, super cool. And I'm sure she said something more close to like, okay, so Mm -hmm. you ate popcorn because you were feeling emotional that's okay. You're a human, right? I think it was something kind of like that. Yeah. You know how they walk you towards it? For sure. You're like, <laughs> they're like, so they're like waiting for something and it doesn't happen. You're like, wait, yeah, this- they're smiling. Like just relax, honey. Everyone eats popcorn when they're not hungry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I wish more people would understand about intuitive eating and what I wish I knew back then, because back then it was all about like, I need to stop binge eating. Like I'm still binge eating. I've fed myself for a month and a half and I'm still binge eating and all of this stuff. So yeah, the next domino though was I moved to Canada. I just felt so fed up with the environment I was living in here. I read a quote that was like, you can't heal in the same environment you got sick. And that really, really resonated with me. And I also want to acknowledge the Snaps, privilege. That yeah. It's it. Yeah. I also want to acknowledge the privilege on that. And I want to acknowledge that environment isn't necessarily where you live. Like your environment is the people around you. It's like your home, like how your physical space is. It's also how your digital space is. It's the friends you surround yourself with, the stuff you consume, what you spend your time thinking about. Like all of that is your environment. You don't necessarily have to like move 
to another country in order to get a different environment. You just got to like find a way to shake things up to the extent that you're able to. It could even be going outside more. You know, I think that was the key for me in the pandemic is I couldn't move somewhere, go somewhere else. But can I go outside and connect with nature and take a deep breath and feel the sun on my face or play with the snow wherever you are? You know, can you just get out of your environment momentarily and and like you said, just cause some effect? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like your environment can be so many different things and there's so many different ways to channel that new environment in big and small. For me, it was like very big and dramatic. I had this opportunity to move to Canada. I met this guy. He was Canadian. I got accepted to the University of Calgary. I transferred schools real quickly. That relationship was two years of the hardest yet biggest growth of my life. And also a lot of what broke me and helped me heal at the same time. But Canada is where I found a lot of my healing when it came to food and body image. That's great. When you look back on some tangible things that really affected the way you approached food? What was it? Did you read a book? Did you find someone online to really shift your mindset? Because you went from feeling like your body had to be absolutely perfect to being one of the first people that was posting really raw photos of all aspects of your body. Um, Thank you for asking. It's really nice. It's also really healing to like reflect on this. Well, first of all, when I moved to Canada, like when you're living somewhere colder, And I've received this feedback from like people who live in the Midwest, but I think like when you're wearing sweaters, people just like, don't care as much. Like there are certain areas. I think there are certain places that feel a little bit more down to earth. Although there's a bunch of Calgarians that are like, what are you talking about? Calgary is the most superficial place, but like, I didn't feel that way. So I guess that just goes to show with, to show like projections and how we receive things. But Canada was like really big for me because I suddenly started spending more time in nature, like hiking. And I immersed myself in my studies, which is something I never let myself really do, like be a student. And where I got inspiration from, I really felt like I was figuring it all out on my own. Like there wasn't even anything I read or anyone I was following at that point in time. I think my ex also helped a lot. He was or is a doctor. And he was just like watching me go through all of this. And he's like, we never received any training on this. And like, you're going through so much and I don't even know what to say or what I can do because he was like, there was literally like one little paragraph in our giant medical textbook about eating disorders. And that is so wrong. And he's very like activist and big with like social justice and like feminism and women's rights and stuff. And so I feel like he just like believed in me when I didn't know how to believe in myself. I think he saw like intellect in me and just like things that I knew I was, but I didn't let myself be because I was so caught up in the appearance. And he just like loved me through all that weight gain. Like in the first, within the first two and a half months that I met him, I gained a bunch of weight because that's when all of this was happening. And he loved me all the same. You know, that was really, really big for me. We're still friends. I'm still just so grateful for that. He's one of those people that's like, that gets very angry for you. Like if you tell him about some injustice in this world, he will treat it as like his own. He'll be like, what the fuck? And you don't deserve that. And the way he like talks shit about the gym culture industry and like when he would find something out, like he would get legitimately upset for me. And I think he was the first person, even though again, at that time, it's not like I transformed overnight. 
I, at the time I was like annoyed at him too. I was like, well, it wasn't all that bad. Like it was fine, you know, making excuses. And he was like, uh, no, these men were taking advantage of you. That's fucking disgusting. They're disgusting. This was not your fault. Like you like, like let's go out to eat. Like, let's get all the food. And just like really, really supported me through that. That's really incredible that you had that relationship with him and that he could be there for you. And I think the takeaway there is to really surround yourself with people who love you unconditionally and who want to support you in what is best for you. And I think everyone can really take a step back and think about the people in their life or that one person, their best friend. And are those conversations that are inspiring you, the way they talk about them, their body, your body, food, all these things. I mean, is it beneficial for you? And if it's not, I mean, sometimes people are not supposed to be in our life forever and people come for different chapters and they help at different points in time. And I'm so glad that you had him there at the time to kind of guide you and help encourage you that the direction you were turning was the right one. So now you mentioned the word reflecting. What is it like now remembering where you used to be and then thinking about the place you are at now with your body and with self-love being one of the biggest parts of your message? I think the biggest thing for me is that now when I look back, I used to look back and feel like proud or like maybe sometimes sad, like I can't believe I was like this. But now when I look back, I just have this utmost recognition that I needed to go through every single phase of my life, including like the deepest, darkest ones in order to be where I'm at today. And they were all necessary, not necessary in a way that I, every single person needs to put themselves in shit in order to grow. I don't really believe in that, but just like wherever you are at is divine. It's for a reason. It's like that surrender part. I'm a little more spiritual than I show on social media because I think there's a lot of weird stuff in like the spiritual Instagram world. But I think the way I think about it is like, it was all part of the process. And I'm so big on like trusting the process, like your journey. And now, even when like, I'm going through something, (laughs) the first thought that pops into my head is like, I can't wait to write about this one day, you know? And that's like a for me, a fun place to be. I learned a lot through that relationship too with my ex. It did not work out. It was definitely not sunshine and butterflies. It was like, he helped me in that part of my life and also destroyed me and others. So I think also what I learned is like just being able to separate things and living your life in a, in a mindset of like both. And you can be like, he could have been both very, very supportive for my eating disorder recovery and very destructive with these other things and something like you can love someone and not want to be with them for the rest of your life. And just so many things and Canada helped me heal and I needed to leave Canada. So like just very much like the both and, and the everything and the in-betweens, not necessarily either or, or, you know, trying to like make everything so rigid. It sounds like finding the little silver linings in everything which is great. Not a definitive, this is good and this is bad, but I can gain something from every situation and every relationship I have. Now, in the very beginning, you mentioned how you thought you needed to be pretty smart and thin. What do you chalk up being a beautiful woman, successful, joyous person to be today if you were redefining it? Connected. It's always connected. 
And to me, connected is like present, grounded, like connecting with others, connected with myself, like really, I think connection has just always been my number one value, but I didn't embrace it because I was so caught up in the other things, but just, yeah, being like really, really in the moment, like connected to the moment too, is a really big, big thing for me. I love that word connection. I think I can probably do better at that myself. I'm good at connecting with people I want to connect with, but I don't think my heart is necessarily open to connect with just everyone I come into contact with, the stranger that I walk past on the street, the thing that I see online. So I am going to try to be better at connection. You have inspired me. You've inspired me in so many ways, girl. I'm honored that I could (sighs) give even that one word to you because I'm like, you've given me so much through your Oh my God, I love you. This this was so great. And wow. I mean, you just are, you really are so inspiring and it's so funny. I want to, I've always gotten the comments too, that I'm like mature for my age and I'm whatnot. And I want to be like, you just are so wise. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. I think the joke I I heard that really landed was like, thanks. It was the trauma. (laughs) Oh my God. That's hilarious. (laughs) Um, And that is the tea. That's the tea. (laughs) Thank you so much, Mary. Thanks so much, Victoria. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real. Real.